Again, let's join together for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again for your great, great love for us and for the fact that you're God and we are not. Thank you that you're sovereign. And we can't pretend to be able to figure you out, but thank you for having revealed yourself in your word and through your Son. Thank you for giving us all that we need for godliness and for life here on this earth. And I pray that you would give to us all that we need to cope with the things that go on in life, but also to be able to rejoice in you and to rejoice at the birth of the Lord Jesus and this hope that we're going to look at now, the hope of eternal life. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in this season of hope, as we've kind of coined it this year, there are a lot of things you can focus in on at Christmas time, but the season of hope this year, in any season, we think a lot about giving. We think about giving the way the Lord gave. We, we're reminded of the wise men who brought gifts to come to honor the Lord Jesus. We exchange gifts. I hope everybody in here gets a lot of nice gifts, but even more that you give a lot of nice gifts, and I'm not talking monetarily, but just nice gifts that people who receive them will understand the love that is behind them. God gave us hope when he gave us the greatest gift of all. I know you all know John 3:16. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Did you notice that it says God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, but along with his son came something else. What came with Jesus? According to what you see on the screen or what you have in your heart, memorized from John 3, 16, what came along with Jesus? Eternal life. That came with Jesus, and what a great gift that is as well. John chapter 20 or excuse me, John chapter 10 and verse 28. It says, I give them, Jesus speaking, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. So picture yourself in great hands because no one can snatch them out of Jesus' hand or the Father's hand and it's if both of them are surrounding us. That's eternal life. And that's a gift that comes along with the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of you who have received the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior have also received that eternal life at the same time. It's everlasting immortality. It's being with God in his prepared place for time knows no end. Talk about the gift that never stops giving. It will be ours for all of eternity. Let me ask you this question, and I'm not trying to be smart by this at all. I've never tried to be smart. How long is eternity? How long is forever? I've got to confess to you, I don't even like to think about that. It blows my mind because we're used to time. And when we think about eternity past and eternity future, it just absolutely boggles my mind. I can't think about it for too long. But if you stop and think about it even for a few seconds now, how long is forever? Let me ask you another question. If you live to be 125, what percentage of eternity will that be? If you live to be 1,000, what percentage of eternity will that be? Then let me ask you another question. If you'll turn with me to Colossians chapter 3 for just a moment. 
Colossians chapter 3. If our present lives are such an infinitesimal fraction of all of eternity, why is it that we concentrate so much on the here and now and not setting our affection on those things that will be hereafter? That's the point that Paul's making to the Colossians in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, if then, and it's really a sense there, if you're a believer in Christ, if then you have been raised with Christ, if you're a part of what he did, if you're a part of Christ, if you belong to him, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So if eternal life with God in heaven forever is something we're supposed to be setting our affection, our attention, our minds on, why do we spend so much time focusing on the here and now? instead of what God has for us. And that should be something that every day of our lives gives us joy, gives us the hope of this season and every season. I have some good news to share with you. A rich relative has left you a huge inheritance. I think we understand that. A rich relative has left each of us in Christ a huge inheritance. The inheritance is eternal life. And the richest of relatives is the one who owns more than the cattle on a thousand hills. It's the one who created and sustains the universe, the one who holds the whole world in his hands. He's the one who became a human being and died just so he could give us the unimaginable inheritance of eternal life. That's great news. The richest of all relatives left us a huge inheritance, and it's going to be lasting for all of eternity. Jesus was born just not just so he could live, but also so that he could die. And once again, if you see before me, we've got cradle cross, and then we've got coming. He'll be back again. Had to come through that manger, had to come through the suffering of the cross, was raised, is there interceding for us, and he's coming again for us. And that's the great news of this in every season. The hope of eternal life that we have. In Titus chapter 3 verse 7, it says, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Having been justified by His grace, declared not guilty, even though we were guilty of everything, but in Christ He declares us justified, just as if I'd never sinned, innocent before Him. And that means that I can become an heir having the hope of eternal life. That's part of the great hope of this season and absolutely every season. By the way, when does eternal life begin? Whoever said now, thank you, go to the head of the class. The eternal life doesn't begin when we go to heaven. It doesn't begin when Jesus comes back. It begins when Jesus comes into a life who by faith says, come in and save me from my sin that I can't save myself from. We don't have to wait until we receive eternal life. 
It tells us so clearly in John chapter 3, verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son, what's the next word? Has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Sometimes people want to know, what does Alden Union Church believe about eternal security? Once somebody is a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, can that salvation ever be lost? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. It's not very eternal if you lose it. Not very eternal if you can lose it by doing something a year later, two years later, ten years later. Eternal life is forever. Whoever believes in the Son, places his faith and trust in the Son, has eternal life. But I've got to be honest. You see, there's another part of that verse. Whoever rejects the Son, and rejecting the Son is done by not receiving Him. You don't have to be cursing Him or overtly saying, I reject but simply by not receiving him is rejecting him, will not see life. God's wrath will remain on him. There is nothing done to propitiate God's wrath unless somebody is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In one sense, even though eternal life begins right now, we still are stuck in time right now, aren't we? We're stuck in time. So we do look forward to the eternal heavenly state. It is still our hope. But even right now, that hope is present. What does God tell us about the hope of eternal life? That's what we want to look at for a few moments here this morning. And firstly, God wants us to know the hope of eternal life. He doesn't want us to wish for it, hope for it, think maybe it might happen. He wants us to know the hope of eternal life. Now, when God tells us about the hope of eternal life, we're going to illustrate it this morning by three things. If you can picture this, a heart wearing eyeglasses, a trampoline, and a lion. That's where we're headed this morning. So God wants us to know the hope of eternal life. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, these are, this is part of the, the verses that were read earlier. Ephesians chapter 1, if you look carefully at verse 18, and here's what it says. I pray also that the eyes of your heart... How many of you realize that your heart has eyes? Did you know that? It's got a lot of other things, but it has eyes in addition to that. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And there he is, the poor optometrist that had to design those eyeglasses for that heart, but there it is. The eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The problem is that we have heart trouble. That's what the Scripture tells us very clearly. We have heart trouble. A part of our heart doesn't function properly. Now, heart trouble comes in all kinds of varieties. Acquired heart disease can affect the pericardium, the myocardium, the endocardium, the coronary arteries, the pacemaker tissue, and a lot more. But whoever heard of eyes in the heart having trouble? It's a different kind of heart trouble because now we're speaking of spiritual trouble. 
It's vision trouble in the heart. To treat it, we would have to go to a spiritual cardiac ophthalmologist specialist. Let me recommend one. Let me recommend the work of God, the Holy Spirit. And when he's the one who does the diagnosis and the treatment in our heart, we don't need a second opinion. And we don't need anybody else to try to come in and tell us what should be done. The Holy Spirit helps us with darkened, blurred vision. And he wants us to know the hope of eternal life. The ancient Greeks and even the Hebrews understood the heart differently than we do today, even in its metaphorical sense. We think of the heart often with regard to emotion. It's a, it's a matter of the heart sometimes, we will say, or you've captured my heart, or my heart belongs to you. I left my heart in San Francisco. Why anybody would ever do that, I don't know, but have a heart, or he's heartless. But the ancient Greeks and the Hebrews thought of the heart a little differently than the emotions. They thought of the heart as the center of knowledge and understanding and thinking and wisdom. The heart was a cerebral place. It was a place of thought. The Bible uses the heart as a combination of all of those things and even more. The Bible uses the term heart as the seat of our will, our emotions, and our intellect. All of those things combined. It's the closest word that can be used to describe the totality of our being. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's not just talking about emotion, nor is it just talking about the mind. It's talking about everything that we are and have. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, it says back in Proverbs. The seed of our will, our emotions, and our intellect. Now, Paul is praying for the lights to come on in the hearts of the Ephesians. And God, the Holy Spirit, wants the lights of our hearts to come on so we can see clearly what's going on and so that we can have hope. But it means our minds and our emotions. Emotions are important to us as Christians. Many significant things occur in our lives as a result of our God-given emotions. But feelings and emotions are only reliable as long as they're under the control of God's truth, which we come to know and understand through His Word using our minds that God has given to us. Sometimes feelings and emotions can betray us if they're not governed by God's truth. Let me ask if you will to turn to Luke chapter 24 for just a moment. There were two disciples after the resurrection on the road to Emmaus. Many of you, no doubt, have a picture of these two hanging somewhere in your house. The two disciples on the way to Emmaus and the Lord Jesus appeared to them right after the resurrection, before people knew that Jesus had been raised. If you look at verse 31, Luke chapter 24, as they're walking with the Lord Jesus, he broke bread with them, it says, and then in verse 31, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Their eyes were opened, their hearts were burning within them. 
Here were individuals whose hearts were enlightened and they were able to see because God opened the eyes of their hearts. When we speak in terms of emotions and our minds, we need to get the horse before the cart. God wants us to know in our minds first so our emotions can rejoice with the true understanding that we have the hope of eternal life. The eyes of our hearts, our spiritual vision, need to be 20-20. Here's a great verse to feast on if you ever have any doubts. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. God never wants a child of His to doubt or wonder or have to hope in that other sense, but so that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants us to be assured of our inheritance. He doesn't want anyone doubting. He wants the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened. God wants us to use the hope of eternal life as well, not just to know it, but to use it. If you'll turn with me to Colossians, please, now. Colossians chapter 1. We'll pick up it in verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. And why? Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. So in verse 5, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. And if you notice on the screen, this is where our trampoline comes in. That trampoline is made up of hope. You can see that hope just joined us on there. The hope that is stored up for us in heaven is the trampoline which gives us literally the spring to a growing faith. That's the NIV translation that springs out of there. Faith and love springing from that hope that is stored up for you in heaven. That is a faith that comes from a root word which means obedience to God. And a love that we have for all of the saints. So that faith for God and that love for all the saints springs off of the trampoline of hope. We're actually using the hope of eternal life that is there to help us to live a loving life and to live a life of faith before the Lord, which is a great thing. A love, it says, we have for all the saints. Look around for just a moment. All the saints aren't here, but there are a great variety of them. If you look around, we have all kinds of people that are here. And don't let me go off on any one of them. I'm tempted, but I'm not going to. <laughs> but as we're looking at all of the saints and the love we have, those who look like we do and those who don't look like you particularly may look. Those who act and those who don't act like us. Those who are lovely and those we may find unlovely. And incidentally, they may be finding us unlovely at the same time, but they're going to be loving us also those who are pleasant, and those who are obnoxious. It all springs from the hope of eternal life, the love we have for everyone, and the faith or obedience that we have 
in God. If we don't have the hope stored up, laid up, reserved for us in heaven, if we don't have that hope that we're assured of our salvation, our eternal destiny, the trampoline out of which we relate to God and to fellow human beings then becomes very loose. You know you don't want a loose trampoline, do you? Not only do you not get any spring from it, you also could collapse it and hurt yourself very, very much. Our faith, our obedience in God, our love for each other doesn't get very high when the hope is not there, that eternal hope that should be present. Where's that come from? Once again, Colossians 1.5, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. And it's coming from Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. That hope that we're springing up from, it's coming all from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's where it all springs from. That's where it all comes from. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 3, 4 also says, when Christ who is your life, when he died, or excuse me, when he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now Paul's going to change the metaphor in Titus chapter 1 to show that the hope of eternal life is more than just a trampoline. It's also a foundation and a resting place. And listen as I read these two verses from Titus. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life which God who does not lie promised before the beginning of time. So we've got a couple of metaphors going at the same time. We've got the trampoline that is going and springing from the hope that is there on that trampoline is our our faith in God and our love for each other. But it says here in Titus, the faith and knowledge that's resting on the hope of eternal life, it were resting on it as well as springing from it. The hope of eternal life is made for us to use. Not only that, we have God wanting us to live the hope of eternal life even during our trials. Even during our trials, He wants us to do that. And I'm moving ahead a little quickly on the screen. I'm sorry. Here's here's what I really wanted us to see. Those to whom Peter writes had some trials while they were living. They had what we would call living trials. They needed a living hope to deal with living trials. And God wants us to live the hope of eternal life even during these trials. Now, if you'll turn with me now to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. Looking at verse 3 to begin with. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead 
to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So there are some living trials that are going on as Peter is writing to his audience. Living trials, but there is a living hope. Again, it refers to the inheritance that is guarded for us in heaven. It's never going to be stolen. It's never going to go away. It's never going to rust. It's always going to be there for us. Now, if you're able to glance quickly, you see there are some verses on the screen. But if you look at chapter 1 of First Peter and look at verse 6, the verse that follows the ones we just read, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. That happens. The next verse, testing of our genuineness, it says, of our faith. There are trials, there are tests that are here all the time. If you look at chapter 2, verse 12, if you want to see a few more, Chapter 2, verse 12, where it says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when, not if, but when they speak against you as evildoers, that comes with the territory of being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ as well. There are those who will be assaulting you. There are those who will be ridiculing you. We look further, and we look in chapter 2, verse 18. And there are a number of verses there that talk about this. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, because they're not all going to be that way, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. And it continues in that vein through verse 25 there. Look at chapter 3 and verse 13. Chapter 3, verse 13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake. Talking about more the possibility of suffering, this time for righteousness' sake. Look down to verse 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. You'll look at chapter 4. A lot about suffering going on in First Peter. But in chapter 4, first verse, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Christ suffered, we're going to suffer as well. Verse 4, With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them. This is the people that maybe you used to do your sinning with, the people you used to party with, have a great time. It says, With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. That happens. Verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Verse 14, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Verse 15, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Verse 18, If the righteous is scarcely saved, then what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Next verse, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. Chapter 5, more of the same. Verse 1, the Apostle Peter identifies himself as a witness of the sufferings of Christ and as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. But he is a, a witness of the suffering. He's also a partaker in that. Verse 21, 
And uh, in fact, we can stop there. Let's, let's go further and look at the next section of verses. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Living hope is necessary to deal with these living trials. Now let's go to the other side of the coin, the good side. Because we do have the trials. As believers, we're guaranteed them. Chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 21. Who through Him are believers in God who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God, even in the middle of all of the troubles. Chapter 3 and verse 5. Chapter 3, verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. Context there is a wife who's married to a husband who's not being obedient to what God wants. In chapter 3, verse 15, great verse for all of us for all time. It tells us, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. God wants us to live the hope of eternal life even during trials. It's still there. It's there for us to use. I said there was going to be a a third picture for us, and that's a picture of a lion. Not just any lion. On the final page of the final book of the Chronicles of Narnia, some of the children who have been to Narnia lament that they once again must return to their homeland, known as the Shadowlands. But Aslan, the lion who represents Jesus, has the best news of all for them. Aslan spoke to the children. Here's what he said. You do not yet look so happy as I mean you to be. You're not as happy as I would like you to be. You don't quite understand what is going on. Lucy said, We're so afraid of being sent away, Aslan, and you have sent us back into our own world so often. No fear of that, said Aslan. Have you not guessed? Their hearts leaped, and a wild hope rose within them. There was a real railway accident, said Aslan softly. Your father and mother and all of you, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, are dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream has ended. This is the morning. You may not see it on the screen. Those are the words that are written. The dream has ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful, as C.S. Lewis is writing now, he says that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. The Creator made us with a need for meaning and purpose and hope that only He can satisfy. Do you have the hope 
of eternal life. Do you have that hope? Forever, every chapter gets better and better. Let me contrast in closing two stories. In an in-depth interview with the New York Times, Larry King revealed a lot about his life and a lot about his career. But what really stood out was his understanding of his death or what he hoped would be his lack of death. He plans to avoid death by opting for what has become known as the Ted Williams treatment. As the story says, he has arranged to have his body frozen and then thawed out when researchers discover a cure for whatever killed him. So stay frozen until they figure out what's going on. King goes on to tell the New York Times writer, the people behind cryonics are all nuts, but at least if he knows he will be frozen, he will die with a shred of hope. This gives King hope because other people, he says, have no hope. But the author of this says, finding hope in cryonics, I know a better C word to find ultimate hope in death, and that's Christ. Contrast Larry King with what Sinclair Ferguson shares in his book, Deserted by God. Think about where our hope is. The first physician to die of the AIDS virus in the United Kingdom was a young Christian. He had contracted it while doing medical research in Bulawayo, Zimbabwe. In the last days of his life, his power of communication failed. He struggled with increasing difficulty to express his thoughts to his wife. On one occasion, she simply could not understand his message. He wrote on a notepad the letter J. She ran through her medical dictionary. Just lost my power. Can you hear me? I'll I'll try to speak up. None of the words in the medical dictionary beginning with J was right. Then she said, Jesus? That was the right word. He was with them. That was all either of them needed to know. And that is always enough. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Titus 3, 7, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. That's part of the hope of the season. It's the hope of eternal life. It's the hope that Larry King doesn't have, but this missionary had the hope in the person of the Lord Jesus. Christ in you, the hope of glory. My prayer is that everyone in here has that hope, that hope of eternal life that comes with the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't have that, I'll be here afterwards. I'd love to speak with you further about that. Come back tonight. You'll hear much more about that, how to receive the Lord Jesus, how to receive that hope. Heavenly Father, thank you for granting to us a glimpse of the assurance of our salvation because eternal life begins the moment we receive the Lord Jesus as our Savior. When we invite Him to come into our lives, understanding He's our substitute, He died for us, understanding that He did what we couldn't do to take care of our guilt and our sin. And thank you that that moment when we invited Christ into our lives, we also received eternal life. Thank you for that hope. 
that you intend for us to know and to use and even to carry us through trouble. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The angel told Joseph that his son should be called Jesus because he would save his people from their sin. Let's stand together and rejoice in that this morning.
Father, we thank You for that great name. Thank You that You honor Your name and Your Word. Thank You that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Thank You for Emmanuel, God, with us. May the truths of the hope of this season help each one of us as we deal with the troubles and as we rejoice in the confidence we have in You. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen.